As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome to On Farm. I'm Anna Davis and this is our last episode before we take a few weeks off for a Christmas and New Year break. But we do have a potential stocking filler idea for you, so keep listening. Joe Stanley is a mixed farmer from Leicestershire and a regular columnist for the Farmers Weekly and the NFU Countrywide magazine. He's also published a book called Farm to Fork, The Challenge of Sustainable Farming in 21st Century Britain. It's a last-minute Christmas idea for the farmer in your life, but as we discuss in this episode, you might even be better buying a copy for someone not involved with food production. So here he comes, Joe Stanley. I was born uh, into a, a family farming um, situation, as you know, uh, so many in the industry are, I suppose. So uh, we had a, um, a, a tenanted 750-acre uh, farm in northwest Leicestershire, and at the time, um, you know, we were dairy, we were arable, uh, we were beef, we had sheep. Then over the years, we became big arable contractors, and then we shrank back down again just to our own uh, own area. Uh, the dairy cows unfortunately went in the mid two thousands. Now my my family farm is uh, you know arable and uh, beef longhorn suckler herd pedigree longhorn suckler herd. But yeah, I've I've been farming now since uh, I was in my mid twenties. So initially, I didn't want to become a, a farmer. To be honest, um, I wanted to go off and do other things. So I, I did things completely outside of the farming industry. I did a history degree uh, and then I did several jobs uh, completely not related to farming before I finally came back to the, to the family farm um, in my mid, mid-20s. And I've been, uh, been a farmer now for, for 12 years. Um, yeah, so it's, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't love at first sight, if you like, when it came to, to me and farming. But there was obviously something drawing you back. And, and having explored other options and, and done other things, some, there must have been some sort of cord pulling you back to the farm. Was, what, what do you think there was? That's right. And I think, I think that's, that's, you know, it, it was good, it was nice, and it was, I think it was very healthy to get out and, and to, to try other things, to, to experience sort of a life perhaps outside of, outside of the family farm. Um, but yeah, ultimately, of course, it, you know, there is always that incredibly deep uh, emotional connection um, you know, obviously, you know, anyone who's grown up on a farm will know that, um, you know, it's not just where you where you live. It's it's a sense of place and belonging and uh, and purpose and that really deep connection to, to, you know, you feel like you're a part of the land. So so no, ultimately, um, you know, I was I was drawn back to the farm, you know, ultimately, again, you know, although perhaps I went back with a bit of trepidation, you know, obviously I did in the end, um, you know, fall in love with with farming and with with the real you know the really positive story that we we have to tell around that in this country you know it's a great to be a part of such a uh, you know such a, a positive and really central you know an industry which is really central to our health and well-being and you know our ability to 
ultimately to function as a society and as a civilization. You know, farming is, is really, it's, you know, it's the biggest and most important job on earth, isn't it? Completely agree. And, and you used a word there, which is kind of one of my favourite words, um, in relation to all things rural, actually, and particularly in relation, in relation to the podcast, and that is the word story. You'd also talked about emotional connection to the land, and I think every farm and every farmer has a story. And if we're wanting to other people to understand who we are and what we do and why we do it, telling that story is the best way to connect to them, I, I think. So you were farming, um, but I understand that you then also, as well as the other hats you wear, but you then also got into a bit of writing and, and um, column writing. So can you tell us a bit about that journey? Yeah, sure. So um, the first six, seven years after I came back to the farm, you know, I didn't do anything whatsoever off the farm. I just, you know, kept my head down, worked, and, and that was that was all I did. And I think, really, looking back, I had a huge lack of um, self-confidence that I had, um, you know, anything, uh, any ability to, to take part in the wider industry, frankly, other than, you know, just, just working. There was um, sort of one point where I signed up to do the, the National Farmers Union and Openfield, do a, a serials development programme. It's for younger people within the industry to, to get a, a wider look at the, the, the serial supply chain. And I did that. And that really did sort of spark in me a, a desire to, to, to get more involved with the, with the industry. Um, and I sort of started quite small writing letters to the Farmers Weekly, mostly just disagreeing with things that some of the existing columnists were, were, were saying. And after they'd printed about seven or eight of my, my letters, I quite cheekily then wrote to the Farmers Weekly and said, well, look, you, you, you know, I keep writing to you and you keep publishing my stuff, so why don't you just you know, give, me a, give me a writing job? And bizarrely, um, and you know, uh, thank you very much still to him, the editor at the time um, you know, said, well, fine, yeah, we'll, we'll give you one of the opinion column um, slots at, at the Farmers Weekly, which is, of course, you know, that's, a, that's a great um, honour to, to have one of those, one of those positions. And, you know, at the time, of course, I was, I was just a very young, uh, completely, um, completely unknown um, young farmer. And, um, you know, thank you very much again to the Farmers Weekly for giving, me, for giving me that opportunity. And then, of course, one thing always leads on to another and, um, you know, picking up various other writing jobs. The other one I'm most proud of is actually for the NFU has a magazine called Countryside. And that's a public-facing magazine with a circulation of around 50,000 that the NFU produces to inform, um, you know, the, the, the interested um, general public, the non-farming public, um, about what goes on in the British countryside. And it's great, again, to have that, which, which is a very different platform. Um, to, you know, obviously, Farmers Weekly is very much speaking to farmers, and uh, this is very much a, a way to, to explain um, you know, what we do and why we do it to, to, the, to the great British public. And I, you know, I really value um, the ability to be able to do that. So interestingly, you said there, because I, I think many people, not, not everybody would vocalise this, but many people would share your view that actually at first you didn't have a huge amount of confidence that you had anything to offer beyond being able to farm. And do you think being able to express your opinion in the Farmer's Weekly column, do you think that improved your confidence and, and made you realise that, that actually your opinions are completely legitimate and, and valid? Well, absolutely. In terms of there is, you know, my opinions are as legitimate and valid as absolutely anybody else's within the industry. I suppose I was just um, cheeky enough to to try and get it, get into a position where I could impose them on other people. Um, but going back slightly to what you you said before regarding self confidence, I think that is a huge problem within our industry for the I think for the younger 
generation coming through, um, perhaps most specifically. Um, you know, you, you meet an awful lot of young people who are used to not being asked their opinion uh, and to not being asked to really have any input perhaps into the management decisions which are taking place in the businesses that they're involved with. And I don't think that that is a, a healthy position um, for the industry to to be in. I think that as an industry, there are some people who are trying to try, you know, they're trying really hard to try and bring um, young, uh, fresh um, talent into both, you know, um, the, the management and leadership of their own businesses, but also the wider industry. That is so important. Mm. I think it's, it's all too easy, perhaps, to see a bit of a, uh, a gentrification of leadership positions, uh, always the same people, the same faces, the same opinions. There is a lot of young, fresh, uh, hungry talent out there that perhaps just doesn't feel that they are valued and that they have anything to contribute yeah. um, and or are welcome to try and offer anything. And I think that is a, a significant problem which we do need to address within the industry. Yes, I agree. And, and what's interesting also is that we've done a, a few episodes recently about women in agriculture and that's a huge issue. The confidence thing and you know what's known as imposter syndrome is a huge, huge thing amongst women in agriculture. But I think many women in agriculture have perhaps wrongly assumed that it's more often women that suffer from this and kind of assume that many men have got confidence in spades. And it's interesting to hear you say that, that that's not true. And as I say, perhaps not all men will vocalise it in the way that you've been able to, but it's probably more common than we realise and that actually we're all in a similar boat, which which in a way is, is not good, but at the same time it's reassuring that, that you know anybody lacking in confidence is not alone and that we're all sharing some of that same same lack of of belief. No, absolutely. And and I would just I would just encourage anyone who obviously if if you don't have any aspirations to to do anything other than work hard and uh, and um you know uh, and and be your own boss and and to um you know to to just um you know live a good life then that's great. But if you do you know if you would like to to grow within within the industry or within your own business, you know, I would just encourage anyone to to do that. To you know, um, to to follow your own ambitions. You know, there is absolutely no reason why any one of us shouldn't be able to fulfil our you know our full potential. Basically, don't be put off by other people perhaps suggesting that you should, um, you know, I suppose to put it to put it very bluntly, know your place. Yeah, and, and speaking on a personal level, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you actually, because they say that there's a book in everybody and. I would love to write a book. I have a novel in my head. None of it's on paper yet. Um, and so I'm always in awe of people who have translated that desire to write a book and the ideas and thoughts and views in their head and actually sat down and done something about it. So um, can you tell us, obviously you were you were write, becoming more familiar with writing, doing the Farmers Weekly column and the NFU thing, um, but how did the book journey evolve? How did you, you get from embryonic thoughts of I'd like to write a book to actually sitting here talking to me today when, when you Google it, you know, it comes up on Amazon, Waterstones, everywhere possible. So it's, 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 it's getting out there and I'd love to hear the journey of it. No, it is it is fun, and um, you know, the, the, to be fair, that I've been sent pictures by a few people from, um, for example, someone from a Waterstones in the middle of London. There was a whole table full of my my books, which was you know that's, that's just amazing. wonderful to see. I've only seen it myself in one bookshop, but I got very um, I played it very very uh, very cool, and I stood there <laughs> posing with it. Um, obviously, <laughs> uh, very cool. Um, 
No, so no, absolutely. I, I've always enjoyed writing. You know, I've always, I've you know, since I was a little as a little boy, I used to write novels, um, mostly Star Wars fan fiction. If I recall, I always thought that was going to be what I was going to get published. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to write a book, and it's sort of it's been you know it's been one of my big big ambitions in life. But and uh, the, but the idea of the book I've had for a few years, um, and it was basically you know you go into a bookshop, there's always a table of books in there about um, the environment, about nature, um, and about, you know, very sort of tenuously farming in the UK. Uh, And there's a lot of material out there. But, you know, what I noticed was there's a huge amount of material, if you like, told from the non-farmer's perspective around essentially, you know, essentially wilding uh, and that sort of thing, all about sort of the natural, uh, the natural world uh, in the British countryside. And, you know, generally speaking, how farmers are trashing it. And how we should uh, we should sort of um, you know be very sceptical about British agriculture. At the other end of the ske- spectrum, there's actually a very strong genre about upland sheep farming. There's an awful lot of books uh, about that, and I think that's really made a connection with with the British public that this sort of if you like harking back to to an older way of doing things is really and we obviously you see most most uh, most strongly with James Rebanks you know who's gone on to huge success as a result of his two books and you know they're great books but there was nothing about if you like uh, in inverted commas modern uh, and essentially, you know, lowland mixed farming. You know, where could any member of the public go if they wanted to read about arable farming today uh, or if they wanted to read about dairy farming? For the most part, people who are looking for that sort of information would probably end up on the Guardian website reading um, articles which are certainly uh, not written from a farmer's perspective and very commonly not particularly accurate about um, what British farmers do, why we do it, and the impact of that. So I just had this idea that, you know, I, I enjoy writing, um, I enjoy communicating with the public, I'm passionate about getting the positive story of British agriculture out there to, to, to people. So yeah, I just thought, well, I will write this book about, um, you know, the average British lowland farm, um, you know, dairy, beef, arable, uh, a bit of sheep, and just to try and explain to the non-farming public, you know, the basics of what it is we do, when we do it, why we do it, and why that should matter to them. Because, of course, you know, if people aren't aware of even, even the basics of, of what we do in this country when it comes to food production, how can they care about it? How can they care about all the changes that are happening with agriculture at the moment and the possible impact of that if they don't even know the situation at the moment? We should probably be very clear here about the title of the book so that people can go away and find it if they want to read it. So it's Farm to Fork, The Challenge of Sustainable Farming in 21st Century Britain. It's interesting, I think, from many perspectives because it's a book that I think farmers would enjoy reading. And I'd like to to chat to you about the the feedback that you've had from the farming community from the book. Um, But as as you've said, it's also a book that is in a non-patronising way. It's educational. It's teaching people... Um, about the season, I suppose, of farming and all of the different sectors and giving people, the general public, a a deeper idea of of what farming is and why it does what it does. So when you set out to write it, who who in your mind was the intended audience for the book then? Was it the general public in, in order to give them a deeper understanding of what farming delivers? 
as you said previously, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of farmers will read the book and, and I have had, um, uh, you know, a lot of farmers getting in touch with me and saying that they, they've bought the book, they've read the book. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the person I had most in mind was, was the non-farming public, um, you know, and, and that's why I guess I set out to, to keep things very simple, to talk about um, the farming year through the seasons. Um, so starting in autumn uh, and, and moving through to harvest uh, in the summer. You know, the key thing I was really trying to achieve was to, to was to do it without jargon. So really important to always explain um, absolutely everything, um, you know, in a really simple way to um, absolutely, as, again, as you said, to, to not be patronising at all um, and to just really uh, explain, you know, the, the, the basics of what goes on on the average British farm. And in doing that, I'm conscious that, um, you know, I perhaps have described um, a farming environment which certainly won't describe every single farm in the UK. You know, I talk about my farm, I talk about the way that we rear beef on our farm, the way we have traditionally grown our crops on our farm. Now, in five years' time, perhaps that very traditional arable system that we that I describe, that we have used for decades, will no longer be that way. I do discuss, you know, the, the more modern developments around regenerative agriculture, for example, and how farmers are, are working to bring uh, more habitat creation back onto their, onto their land. But, you know, ultimately, I was trying to, to describe the basics of cultivation, of planting. Um, what I really wanted to get into were things like why do farmers use artificial fertilizers? Why do farmers use um, plant protection products, you know, pesticides? Because, again, that's something which sometimes I think we perhaps shy away from as an industry, but I wanted to explain why those products in the vast majority of arable situations in the UK are so important and why we use them. You know, what is the benefit to people of having, you know, uh, affordable, healthy and safe food of using those products? Whilst also, of course, admitting that there are, um, you know, there are disadvantages, there are um, potential dangers from using those products in terms especially of, of course, you know, environmental pollution from things like nitrates. Um, But again, um, important to important just to explain the real basics and to explain it from a farmer's point of view. But it's no, it's great as well to have had so many farmers read it. And um, also, I was kind of bracing myself, you know, with tin hat on that I was going to get a lot of negative feedback from 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 that's not how I do it here. That's not how we do it. Why haven't you talked more about this or that? Um, but the feedback's been really positive and I think that's that's great you know I think people are sort of understanding that the audience that it's primarily aimed at and and again just trying to get those basic points across and again just trying to explain to people you know why they should care and also going going into things such as Brexit what impact has Brexit had on agriculture on uh, future agricultural policy what impact might um, poor trade agreements have um, you know, what impact does global warming have and what are British farmers trying to do to play their part to, um, you know, to try and head the worst of, of climate change off with net zero, etc. And it was great to have, um, you know, NFU President Minette Batters um, sort of um, yes. honour me with a, with a foreword to the book, which was, which was really kind yeah. of a... A very passionate forward because, uh, yeah, that was obviously the first bit I read and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, now, obviously, you're kind of probably a little bit like me in that, you know, probably the majority of your connections work related connections are within agriculture or or rural industry so did you find one of the or are you continuing to find one of the challenges of having written the book is to actually 
get it out to that wider non-farming perhaps more urban audience because that that's a, a group that is kind of harder to reach when when your connections are are very much within kind of more rural industry so how how's that been going and and what what assistance have you had to try and get that the, the book out there to to the masses so the the publisher quilla uh, quilla books um have done a, a good job obviously getting in touch and trying to get get the message out there you know it's been reviewed in um things like uh, country life um, it's had a lot of reviews in the farming press, which perhaps uh, perhaps proves proves your point more. You know, it's it's available. Like I say, it's in bookshops. It's in you know, it's on high streets. Um, it's on Amazon. It's on Waterstone. You know, um, it, it's available in all these places. Yes, inevitably, inevitably, I think a, a lot of farmers have bought, and it's great. I mean, I, please, if you're a farmer and you want to read about farming, I know farmers love reading about farming. There's nothing farmers like reading about more. It's probably all most farmers do read about. <laughs> so please do buy it. But um, no, it, it's. It is a challenge, perhaps sometimes, to to reach that wider audience. Of course, now what we're seeing with, you know, Clarkson's Farm, Clarkson's Farm cut through to a, a, an incredible degree to the non-farming public, and that is superb. And of course, Clarkson's also got a book out, and that will, I'm sure, be hugely popular over Christmas, and I'm sure it will outsell me ten to one. And that's great. I mean, because, you know, again, Clarkson's doing a great job of explaining exactly what I'm trying to do, which is to explain the realities of, of modern farming to the British public. I'm really hoping that that will, um, that will instill in people a desire to learn more about the realities of, of British farming. Well, I, I think, you know, we're similar in our, in our goals. You know, we, we produce this podcast mostly rural people listen to it, but we would love more non-rural people to listen. But I suppose it's very name uh, appeals so much more to the rural community and, and same with your book. But we're always saying to people, if you listen to the podcast and you find it interesting, even if it's just, just some of the episodes, you know, tell a non-farming neighbour, tell the, the, the teacher at your child's school that there's something of educational value in here. And, and when it comes to your book, um, just I'm just thinking, I... I um, have just become very involved in RET, which is the Royal Highland Education Trust, who are obviously uh, educating uh, school children all about food and farming. Um, and it just occurred to me that actually, if we're listening, we might be farmers, but if we bought a copy of your book and gifted it to our primary schools, then that's giving children who aren't necessarily from a farming background the opportunity to, to, to read it and, and learn more. We're, we're I think... We are the only farming family in our primary school because we're mostly in a sort of commuter village from Edinburgh. So there are many, many children in that school who could benefit and learn from, from reading your book. So it's about us as farmers spreading the word kind of on your behalf, I suppose, and getting the book out there to non-farming people. Well, that's very kind. And we can all do that uh, in whichever way that we are uh, sort of most skilled to do. You know, you look at people such as um, Tom Martin, for example, who started the uh, Farmer Time uh, initiative, which takes farming directly into, um, into primary schools twice, uh, twice a month. Uh, for 15 minutes, you know, farmers talking directly to those primary school children, exactly as you've just outlined. That is so important because we all, we've all seen the stories, and I remember from my childhood, there is a very strong impulse by some people to trash the reputation of British agriculture, and they go to schools to do it. There is an awful lot of misinformation. There's an awful lot of, you know, frankly, just 
whether it's willfully misleading um, children or I think more often it's people who just don't know themselves, but they, they have yes, a very small yes. amount of knowledge that can be very dangerous and they go into schools and you, you see all of this stuff, um, you know, kids coming out of school from a farming background and saying, you know, mummy, daddy, today I was taught that farmers are responsible for climate change and we should all be eating, you know, corn. And if we do that, everything will be fine. Mm. And, and that, is, that can be a very insidious influence on young minds. So the more we can do to tell the truth and tell the positive story of British agriculture, um, then the better that is for, um, you know, for everyone and for, the, for, for our industry in the long run. And that's really up to each of us to, to do that. Definitely. The book is very realistic. It's very matter of fact, um, as well as being interesting. Um, but it's also, I think, um, pretty positive. You know, it's, it's uh, somebody described in a review, which, which I read, I thought it was really lovely. It says, at its core, this book is a love letter from one farmer to an entire industry, which I thought that was really sweet. But ultimately, you know, yes, it's realistic, but, but you see a positive future in terms of, not just in terms of agriculture, but in terms of how agriculture can tell its story to food consumers uh, obviously everybody is a food consumer food is our most vital commodity and it's those people who consume food i.e everyone who needs to be hearing about this so when it comes to the future and, and positivity what, what are your feelings and thoughts on that i think that we you know we do have such a positive story to tell in this country and clearly we have improvements we need to make you know um we are a long way still, I think, from, uh, you know, our goal of being net, a net zero industry. And frankly, we need to, of course, move beyond net zero to be, a, um, you know, a carbon sink for the wider economy, for those parts of the economy which are going to be incredibly hard to decarbonise. And we can always improve. We can always improve welfare. We can always improve our environmental impact. We can always improve. But we are already operating at a relatively very high level globally. And we are also increasingly aware of the complete lack of any motivation in some parts of the world to improve. You know, we see deforestation rates are increasing all around the world. We're seeing more virgin rainforest being cut down for soy production, for beef production. Now, you offer me uh, a beef burger produced in the ashes of our planet's lungs versus a, veg a vegetarian option, and I will take the vegetarian option. You know, there are unsustainable ways of producing our food, but just as there's unsustainable ways of producing beef, there's also sustainable ways of producing beef, but there's also completely unsustainable ways of producing, you know, plant-based um, products, you know, yes, um, avocados, almonds being grown in deserts using huge amounts of pesticides, huge amounts of groundwater. You know, these are not sustainable food sources. And we're kidding ourselves if we think that just because something is a plant, then it is good for the environment. Now, I am positive about the future. There's a huge number of enthusiastic passionate young people still desperate to make their mark on the industry. I'm a trustee of an organisation called the Plum Foundation, set up by Lord Henry Plum to help young people get their first step on the ladder in, into the farming industry. And I'm always humbled by the passion and the drive of these people who are willing to effectively, you know, work for nothing and work 100-hour weeks just because they want to be a part of the industry. And if you've got people who are that passionate, then we've got a bright future. The problem is that government is looking set to cut us off at the knees. Now, in Scotland, um, Northern Ireland, Wales, the governments there have taken a, a, a more pragmatic 
view of our leaving the common agricultural policy and the financial implications of that for farming. In England, of course, we're pushing ahead full bore with um, you know, the agricultural transition period uh, and the phase-out of the basic payment scheme. Now, that's obviously a completely different um, and long conversation in and of itself. But my concern is that with losing um, the financial certainty that, that BPS gives farmers, with having our domestic standards and costs increased um, you know, in, in, uh, in our public money for public goods future, and in having our markets thrown open to competition from you know, food that it would be illegal to produce here, and the government is dead set on allowing that food to be imported. You know, there are going to be no restrictions on the imports that are coming into our country. My concern is that our world-leading industry in this country, with a great story to tell, with passionate people, with this huge ambition to be part of the climate change solution while providing healthy and affordable food, is going to be blown out of the water by a government which, frankly, doesn't seem to care about those things. And they just want quick and easy trade deals and they want to greenwash domestic policy. And it doesn't have to be like that. And it's not too late and we can change it. We just need to get, as we saw last summer, we need to get public support behind us. You know, we had a million uh, signatories to the NFU's Food and Trade Standards Petition. And we need to continue harnessing that support because that's the only thing uh, that governments seem to respond to these days. You know, overwhelming public indignation when clearly they are doing the wrong thing. Um, so so that is is my view on where we are at the moment. We We can have such a thriving agricultural industry in this country which will provide benefits not just, you know, for food production and food security, benefits for the environment, benefits for the NHS and for health, um, and for the economy and wider employment and the supply chain. Um, but we need to have the support of government to achieve that um, because farming cannot, I, cannot exist in a bubble, um, you know, in a, in a high-wage, high-cost economy um, with, with complete uh, unilateral free access to our food markets. You know, we need to have that, that support around us from government. Now, aside from the obvious call to action, which is going by Joe's book... Um, what what is the the key call to action there that that us as rural dwellers can do to help the general public to better understand the farming cycle and the the benefits that farming delivers for our entire country? Well, for for you know for farmers and for people within within the sort of wider industry, it is to 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 at every possible stage to to make the case whether it's to your MP, whether it's to the public, whether it's writing in a village magazine, whether it's calling the local TV station or radio station to come to your farm to cover an interesting story. You know, don't wait for them to come to you. News outlets are always looking um, for for local stories. Um, You know, contact them, get them to come and see something interesting or important that's going on on your farm. You know, it's just so important for us as an industry. There's so many of us... um, you know, if you see something being said on radio or TV, which is clearly nonsense, you know, contact them, get on, you know, and again, you'll be surprised how often you'll be put on to rebut nonsense rather than just sitting grumbling, perhaps in your in your tractor cab. And of course, embracing the future in terms of uh, high quality, high welfare, highly sustainable food, you know, as an industry, that's that's our future. We're not going to compete um, scraping the bottom of the global barrel. We're going to have to move into that uh, that even more sustainable future. So we need to embrace that. Look to buy British, especially the red tractor. Now, the red tractor is somewhat controversial within the farming community for various reasons. But ultimately, it is a guarantee, if you see the red tractor on that food packaging, that it was not only produced in Britain, it was um, you know, processed in Britain as well. That is a, a British product. And that is, 
you know, we need um, we need the public to support us by buying British. Just because it's got a Union Jack on it does not necessarily mean it's British, um, bizarrely. And, you know, people need to put pressure on their political representatives, you know, to do the right thing when it comes to food, farming and trade. But the other thing, of course, is just, you know, seek out more information on food and farming, on British food and farming, and on how they do it in other parts of the world. You know, read books, read articles, follow farmers on social media. You know, just take the time to appreciate why it's important to know where your food comes from, because the, the danger is if we don't, then we won't know what we've lost perhaps until it's gone. Uh, and the countryside will look very different. And the amount of food that we're able to produce in this country will look very different. We're seeing at the minute with the pig industry what the impact can be of, you know, really poor uh, decision-making at a government level. Mm. I know, yeah, you touched there on, on labelling and that's... Well, I used to work for NFU Scotland and way back then and, and still now that's a, such a bugbear of mine. I inadvertently bought Australian beef jerky not that long ago because there was a huge Union Jack on the front of the packet um, and it just makes my blood boil because many people perhaps not enough people but many people have got good intentions and if they're misled by confusing packaging then those good intentions are are, are going down the drain and it's just yeah so infuriating so yes buy british if, if you're in scotland buy scottish look for scotch beef scotch lamb etc etc i'm sure we'll be, many of people will be supporting the whiskey industry over over the next few weeks with christmas around the corner um but joe i really really appreciate your time you, you know as we t- said at the beginning you're wearing many hats um i don't know do you do you have a second book up your sleeve is that keeping you busy or are you going to take a break from writing for a while i'm going to take a break for a while i do have uh, i do have some other ideas um but yeah it's uh the first book um was put together in about five months um was it and was that during lockdown yeah, so it was earlier this year so from sort of january to may um right. i put the book together Gosh. and that was so that was a really intense time it was intense um so the, yeah. a, a second book will be uh, written somewhat somewhat at a more relaxed pace i hope um <laughs> but uh, but no thank you thank you very much for for having me on it's been it's been great talking about you know um not just not just the book but also of course about how you know how important it is that we you know we look to to, to back British farming and, um, and you know, our, yes. and our high, high domestic Maybe. production standards. Yeah. And so as if you're listening and you live in a rural area, um, please do buy a copy of Joe's book, even if it's not for yourself. Perhaps you could give it to a non-farming neighbour or, as I said before, perhaps you could donate a copy to the local library or your primary school or high school because the more people, I think, read something like this in a easily digestible and straightforward manner the more we all benefit because whether you're 90 or 9 I think there's always more you can understand about the food that you consume and the farming that goes on behind it so as somebody else said this is, these are not my words but somebody else said this in relation to your book Joe it says everything a modern farmer wishes a general public know about farming so I think that pretty much sums it up so uh, we can help spread the word by getting more people to read it so thank you very much joe i really appreciate you talking to us and uh, i think everybody will find this really fascinating so thank you again no thank you very much and thank you for you know for again putting out um, a podcast like this which you know which we're all trying to achieve the same thing so thank you Mm -hmm.
Joe Stanley, huge thanks to him. Joe's book is called Farm to Fork. That's it for this episode, and in fact for this year. Um, As you might hear from my voice, I'm suffering from COVID at the moment, so I'm going probably back to bed or the sofa. Um, But I really appreciate you listening. Um, Big thanks to everyone who has supported us by sharing and recommending the On Farm podcast with others throughout this year. Um, Every time someone does that, it's so, so helpful in keeping the podcast going, growing our audience, bringing in new people to hear these valuable messages. And so I take every chance to wish you... Uh, a very happy Christmas and New Year from Monty, myself, Dave, our producer, and everyone here behind the scenes at On Farm. Wishing you all the best. We'll be back with more On Farm in 2022. But meantime, Merry Christmas. <laughs>